Jesus Christ is risen. Oh, that's good. Now, that's your line, you know. He is risen indeed. So when I say Jesus Christ is risen, you remind each other there at home. He is risen indeed. We are concluding our series that we've called It All Comes Down to This. And today it really does. Because Jesus died, but he came back from the dead just as he promised. It's the only time in the history of the world where somebody has brought themselves back from the dead. And Jesus is proving that he's God. And yet people still responded to Jesus differently. And he gives them free choice so that they can. But I want us to get to see how different people respond, choose to respond to Jesus in different ways. Because it's Easter, I'm going to have some people helping me read the scriptures. And my first reader is Samara Ballou. And uh, she is going to read Matthew 28, 1 to 10. Samara, let's get into God's word. Now, after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So then they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took a hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So what do you do about Jesus? How do you respond to Jesus? We see here... These women are walking to the tomb. They want to go see it for themselves. They are discussing among themselves. They are deliberating. They're going, I mean, they are going to the tomb. Have you ever gone to a cemetery? You know what's there. There are people in graves and in tombs. And uh, sometimes you just go to read the headstones or to sit and to think and to remember their life and their loves or, or to think about the what might have beens. So these women, they've been friends of Jesus. They've cared for him deeply. They have followed him through his ministry. They have uh, provided for his needs. They were there at the foot of the cross. They were there when he was laid into the tomb three days before this. And they're dealing with huge loss and disappointment. And I could ask you, have you ever dealt with loss and disappointment? But I know that all of us are right now. We're at a time where there is a great deal of loss and disappointment. I had one mom text me this week and she said, I received an email that school is canceled for the rest of this year. Our church families are probably not surprised, but 
I am sure the kids are all in shock. Mine are. No eighth grade dance. No Knott's Berry Farm. No Universal Studios. No graduation. No yearbook signing. And that's just one of my kids. In fact, Pastor Eric shared a picture with me of a high school student that they drew with a face mask on and tears and a graduation cap, basically suggesting there won't be a graduation, and the illustration definitely shows disappointment. So at some level now, right now, every one of us is dealing with changes that we didn't choose, restrictions that we wouldn't ask for, loss and grief and fear, frustration and disappointments. So let me tell you, Next week, we're actually starting a new series out of the book called First Peter that we're going to call Hope in the Morning. Hope in the Morning. So I want you to read ahead and plan on joining me right here again next week. So these women are walking to Jesus' tomb, and it's early in the morning. And they're not saying this part out loud, but they're probably disappointed with Jesus. It's not something we can usually say out loud to other people in too many circles. Mark's gospel tells us as they're arriving, they're discussing among themselves, asking the question, who will roll away the stone? And this is a mop-up and conclude operation. Uh, they're not talking about Jesus' miracles. They're not talking about his favorite stories about life that he told. They're just deliberating, how do we take care of details and be done here? I mean, it is true. If Jesus hadn't returned from the dead, then none of this would matter. He would be just another good man who was killed before his time, cut down in his prime because he believed in something greater. These women have served Jesus well, and they had high hopes for him and what he was going to do and accomplish in the world and in their lives. And all those hopes were dashed when he was nailed to the cross. Jesus has been their strong leader for three years, for them and for the disciples. And they have become dependent on Jesus' leadership. Now he's gone. Who do you follow now? Well, of course, the right answer would be to remember that Jesus had promised, I'm going away, but I will send God's Holy Spirit to guide you and to comfort you and to direct you. But that's not what they were thinking that morning. So if you've ever been tempted to be disappointed in Jesus then let me encourage you, suspend judgment, just wait, because they found out that God was at work that day in ways that they couldn't predict and didn't see coming. In fact, God had something pretty dramatic in mind. He started the show with an earthquake, bang, just to set the stage, or maybe to unset the stage, and then in comes an angel, zing, and his, his clothing is so bright, it says it was like fresh snow, that it'd make your eyes squint, and then when you saw his face, it was like lightning, it'd make your, your eyes water, or the, the guards got so afraid, they fainted dead away, and then the angel spoke and said, don't be afraid. I bring you, I know you seek Jesus who's crucified. He's not here. He's risen. Come see where he lay. And then go and quickly tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. So this one little statement transformed these women from their discussion and disappointment into sheer delight. 
mean, what did these women do with Jesus? First, they were disappointed. They discussed it. They talked among themselves. They took care of details. But when they got this order from the angel, they obeyed God and quickly. They hurried off to do what they had been told. But suddenly, Jesus is there. I mean, Jesus was right there right in front of them. And when they saw Jesus for who he really was, well, they took obvious delight in him. It says that they came up to him and they touched his feet. They were down on their hands and knees touching his feet because he is risen. Oh, come on, don't miss your line. He is risen. And you worship Jesus with all your heart Soul, mind, and strength, you take sheer delight in Jesus. Our first reader this morning, Samara, takes delight in Jesus. She loves Jesus. And she reads about Jesus. She draws pictures about Jesus. She talks to anybody and everybody about Jesus. And to her, Jesus is not just a religious figure. Jesus is a real person, her best friend. And Jesus is her God and her Savior. So two responses so far. What do you do with Jesus? You discuss or deliberate. And you can do that if you're not careful till you're blue in the face and never make a decision. Or you can decide, I'm going to love Jesus with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, there are other responses to Jesus. Let's look at the next few verses. Our next reader is one of our youth pastors named Cody Nord. He's a newlywed, and he's going to be reading Matthew 28, 11 to 15. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people. His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. What do you do with Jesus? Jesus' resurrection proved that Jesus is God. But Jesus was rejected by the world, despite all the evidence. And so what happened in this little passage is first he's disregarded. Verse 11, when the guards came to, the guards are totally focused. They don't worry about the earthquake. They're not seeing the angel anymore, but they look at the door of the tomb is gone. The stone has been rolled away, and they notice that the body that they're supposed to be guarding is missing. It's gone. Our one job was to guard this body to be sure that it doesn't get stolen, and it's gone, and we saw him alive. So They seem to be clueless that Jesus is God or that he's just accomplished the greatest miracle in the history of the entire world right under their noses, right on their watch. They're like some people today who know all about Jesus, know all about Jesus' claims to be God and to be able to forgive sin and to come back from the dead. And this has been studied by believers, by skeptics, by experts, by everybody. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a proven fact. But some people don't care, and they're not going to believe it, despite what the evidence tells you. So if you set out to be in charge of everything in your life, and you are not going to recognize anyone else as Lord of the universe or as Lord in your life. You disregard anyone and anything that might challenge the notion that you are in charge. Well, then it will go from bad to worse. The soldiers disregarded the evidence. 
And that proved that Jesus was alive, which proved that he's God. And they raced to, to, into the city of Jerusalem to report to their employer. Now, if they disregarded the news, the chief priests that they went to report to tried to delude and deceive everyone. The chief priests and elders and council all knew the facts, but they were willing to deceive people, everyone. They focused on keeping control of the story and of the people and of the spin. We have our convictions. We are in charge here. Jesus is a fake, and the people are like sheep. And we will be sure that they do not hear the true story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ if we can possibly help it. Because that would clearly interrupt or obliterate our plans for how things are supposed to go. So snuff it out. Tell a lie. Tell it louder. Tell it again. And then tell it often. Bribe your way out. Do what you need to. Focus on what's not important. Break the rules. Ignore the truth. But keep your control at all costs. Do you know the truth is that on Easter, we celebrate that Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And our world has generally taken Easter and has pushed it to be about Easter eggs and chocolate bunnies and family get-togethers and going to church and checking off the box. None of that works this year. In fact, someone named Christy Bother wrote a poem kind of in a style of Dr. Seuss. It starts like this. It was late in 19 when the virus began bringing chaos and fear to all people, each land. People were sick, hospitals full, doctors overwhelmed, no one in school. As winter gave way to the promise of spring, the virus raged on, touching peasant and king. People hid in their homes from the enemy unseen. They YouTubed and Zoomed, social distanced and cleaned. April approached and churches were closed. There won't be an Easter, the world supposed. And then there's a whole bunch in the middle of the poem that commiserates about that. But here's how the poem ends. The church buildings are empty, and so is the tomb. And Jesus is victor over death, doom, and gloom. So this year at Easter, let this be our prayer. As the virus still rages all around everywhere, may the world see hope when it looks at God's people. May the world see the church is not a building or a steeple. May the world find faith in Jesus' death and resurrection. May the world find joy in a time of dejection. May 2020 be known as the year of survival. But not only that, let's pray for revival. So if we were to review, Jesus is not to be discarded or disregarded. Not for long. You can't deceive everybody forever. The truth will be known. Jesus wasn't just a Jewish rabbi from Galilee. He was God come in human flesh. And he wasn't, didn't just get arrested randomly and then put to death in Jerusalem that year. He had intentionally gone to Jerusalem for the purpose of dying as for the sin of the world, as the Lamb of God who could atone for sin. And the grave couldn't hold him. He came back alive. Look what the Bible says, what God is going to do. He says, because of this, God has highly exalted him. 
and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're going to look at one more little paragraph, and our final reader is also one of our youth pastors, and she just graduated from Biola University. Emily Hildy is going to give us the last two responses that people give to Jesus. It's found in Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What do you do about Jesus? I always trip over the phrase that Emily just read, that some doubted. Some doubted. I mean, it's sad, but it's true. Jesus has done miracles. He's predicted the future about his death and about his resurrection. He has died. He has risen from the dead. He, about 40 days go by where he's seen in numerous situations by numerous people, over 500 people, and he gathers together the people who are his closest followers, and they worship Jesus, but some doubted. Some still doubt, which is an option. It begs the question, what does it take to bring you into a friendship with Jesus? What's holding you back? What would convince you to give him your whole heart and your whole life? I want you to get to hear Miriam Ballou's story because God has been at work in her longer than she's been aware. And he loves her so very, very much. I was born in Kabul, Afghanistan, and when I was just a few months old, my parents and three young brothers and I, we left the Cold War dangers and made our way to America. I was never interested or curious in religion. I grew up in a Muslim home, a loving home, wonderful parents, but I just had no interest in that religion. I felt I had a personal relationship with God, and I knew right from wrong, I was a good person, I was a happy person, so I was good. And then later when I met Gilbert, who grew up Christian and was very strong in his faith and would share with me all the time, I still wasn't interested. I wasn't curious. And in fact, I shared with him that I never want to convert, that I didn't believe in anything that's outside of a personal relationship with God. I just didn't know. Well, he continued to pray for me and invite me to Sunday services, and I went. And I enjoyed it. I liked the messages. I liked the community. I always felt good, but that was it. There was no real curiosity or, or hunger to understand more, to understand who is Jesus, who is God. Well, after months of dating and planning our forever, he didn't know what to do. He loved me, he knew that, but I didn't have my faith. I didn't share that with him. So one day he told me that he wanted to take a sailing trip to Australia. Of course, I was shocked. I had no idea the real reason of what he was struggling with and what he wanted to think about and pray about. After a few weeks of no communication with Gilbert, I found myself in a position I'd never been before. I felt loneliness. 
I had no energy to do anything or want to do anything. I barely made it to work every day, which was odd for me. I'm a true extrovert. I thought I'd be spending my time catching up with girlfriends, maybe planning little weekend trips, keeping busy. Instead, I had no interest in anything. But then I realized Easter was coming up. And at the time, I had no idea why I wanted to go. Now I do. But at the time, I was like, you know, this would be kind of fun to do. I'm curious. I don't really know what Easter is. My only memory was that really fun, festive party when I was in fourth grade. So yeah, I'll, I'll go to Easter and I'll get all dressed up and I'll check it out. Within minutes of the sermon, I definitely regretted that mascara I put on because it was all over my face at that point. I was hyperventilating so bad that the pastor had to look down and mouth, are you okay? I had so much shame that I denied Jesus for so long. And yet he died this horrific death for my sin, all of our sin. And the first verse that was said that got me right away from those first few minutes was Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them but they don't know. And that was me for decades. To understand that even after denying God, not wanting anything to really do with him, besides maybe entertained at Sunday service from time to time, he still loves me. He forgives me. Before Jesus, I thought I knew what love was. After Jesus, I know what love is. I wanna to read to you guys 1 Corinthians. 13.4, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight evil, but rejoices with the truth. 10 years ago today, I was saved and my heart and soul forever changed. Thank you, Miriam. So what do you do with Jesus? The answer so far we've had is you deliberate. You take time to discuss. You disregard. Or you try to deceive other people with a lie. Or you doubt. But then we save the best one for last. You declare. You declare. You talk. You tell somebody. And you declare Jesus. You, you let people know. Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations. Go and tell. Go and persuade. Baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's an evidence of new life. Teach them the truth. Call people to be accountable for their faith. Our job is to declare to the world. What does it look like for us to declare Christ from our homes? We can invite our family and friends to watch with us online and I applaud that. And we can continue to invite other people to share. But it's bigger than that. It's, it's the way we carry ourselves in the midst of the crisis that we're in. Who were the good neighbors that reached out and cared about those around them to be sure that people's needs were met? We, last week, we put out this little card as a way to be practical. It, it talks about, if you're self-isolating, I can help. And it gives you a spot where you can write your name and your phone number. And so one of our families I know of took this card 
card, went to their entire neighborhood at night, put the card on everybody's door, and uh, invited them, them to say, if you need help getting groceries or making a store run, we will be very careful, and uh, we won't share any germs, but we'll leave things at your door. And the people next door to them texted and said to them, we live next door, and we're very lucky. We don't have any needs right now, but I want to thank you for your offer and tell you how fortunate we are to have such wonderful neighbors hoping to get to know you better when this is over. So people will remember, who are the people who were willing to give while others were busy hoarding? Who are the people that, in spite of the fear that it pervaded our globe, handled sickness, job loss, economic uncertainty, with a living hope that shines into the darkness? Will it be the fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ? Will it be the Christians? You may be stuck at home, but you don't have to be stuck inside yourself. Jesus has set us free from sin and death when he rose again from the dead, but he also set us free from selfishness and from self-regard. We are free to love. We are free to give. We are free to care. We are free to help. We are free to share. We are free to hope. We are free to share our Savior with the world around us. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. So, in conclusion, every person someday will stand before Christ to give an account for their life. Will you be one who's chosen doubt and endless deliberation? Will you be one who's chosen to disregard the evidence and have attempted to deceive others? Or are you going to be somebody who takes delight in the Savior and then does what he says, goes and declares him to the world? Our Lord and Savior is risen. He is risen indeed. It's a story we must go and share. Hallelujah.